as you accumulate success and experience and credibility, the opportunities multiply and your time stays the same. There's like an inflection point that I feel like happens in most careers that you have to go from saying yes to most things to saying no to most things. What is up, you sexy amigos? It is your boy Santorini, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, we are joined with my very longtime friend and super huge best-selling author and blogger, Mark Manson. If you haven't read his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I have no idea what planet you're living on. Hopefully Earth, maybe Mars. Everyone's read the book. They've seen the orange cover. It's really, really good. You can also check Mark out at I am Mark Manson on Twitter and Mark Manson on Instagram. Mark and I have been friends for many years in the internet verse, and this was an amazing chat to learn about behind the scenes of Mark's life, and especially for someone who's become one of the most popular authors of our time. If you ever want to learn about how much hard work and dedication goes into becoming an overnight success, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. Numero uno, the challenges and realities of achieving our major goals, the other side of success. Two, dealing with burnout. How does Mark actually prioritize with all the different opportunities of things he has going on? And number three, how do you find contentment? Hmm. You're going to enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets and stories of cocaine along the way. Also, if you love this episode, be sure to go check out an episode we did with another author friend of mine, Ryan Holiday. That's episode 130. Before we dive into the show, I have an upcoming book. You're going to hear about it called Million Dollar Weekend. I'm sure you may have. We're going to do a huge launch coming out in December. But until then, we had some amazing material that could not make it into the final manuscript. I have it for you. It's free. Go to nokagan.com slash lost, and you can get the lost chapter of Million Dollar Weekend. Pretty, pretty good. Go get it at nokagan.com slash lost. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener CryptoSavage69. That's the kind of person I want to have tea with. They said, Noah's relentless generosity and adventurous insights are a treasure. I've been a longtime devotee to this podcast. Nowhere else have I found so much gold in terms of powerful seed-level wisdom shared in a down-to-earth, super fun, and casual format. Thanks for making your fans feel like friends and allowing us to participate vicariously in your wild journey of success. Damn. I love sharing my business journeys with you, and I love seeing you have your own business journeys of success, too. Thank all of you for being a part of it. And if you want to shout out in a future episode, just leave a review where you have listened to this show. I check every single one of them. How you been, dude? It's been a while. I have never felt better. Nothing's really that different, which is wild. Yeah. Kind of looking at the same coin from another side. I think I've dialed in my mind. My work stuff is awesome. Like I you know, do chats with you and things like that. And the girlfriend's awesome. I'm just like so happy. I'm fasting today. It's uh, it's Yom Kippur. It's a uh, day of atonement. So I'm probably a little bit lower energy, but overall, I'm just like, dude, this is so sweet. Cool, man. It's yeah. great to hear. It's been a journey. And then I think sometimes because I'm like, life's sweet, life's awesome. Then when something bad happens, I'm like, life, hey, come on. It was supposed to be great. Then it's not, this is life yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, life? You promised me good times. I put it out on a <laughs> podcast or I publicized it. I think it's just like having things to look forward to, liking who I'm around, liking who I am. Yeah. Like, and I spend my days being okay when it's not great. Like Saturday, dude, we stayed inside all day and talked to friends. And that's like a lot of anxiety for me, which sounds so silly, but it's just, hey, do you guys want to go do stuff? Should we go do stuff? Yeah. Let's go biking. Let's go yeah. outside. And they're like, we're just going to stay here. I'm like, what should we plan? So it was great though. I was like, oh, this is cool. I didn't get into this. It sounds so simple, but it can be hard to achieve. How old are you now? 41. I'm 39 and I'm in a very similar spot where materially my life hasn't really changed at all in the last five years, but I'm just so much more content and satisfied 
on a day-to-day basis. Actually, I'm doing less than I used to do. And sometimes I wonder, like, how much of that is just age? Like, you just hit 40 and you're like, you know what? I don't need to do all this shit. I could just hang out in my house with the girlfriend or wife or whatever. and Things are good. <laughs> what do you think led you to that? Or what shifted in these years for you? I don't know. Some of it is just like having a lot of quote unquote great opportunities and then pursuing them and just realizing they don't really make you that happy, that you don't have to do all this stuff all the time. But yeah, part of me too, maybe this is just maturity. (laughs) It's just being content with what life hands you. (laughs) Yeah, I've been thinking about the word wisdom and I think we want shortcuts. I never like these videos. It's like, here's secrets. I'm like, it's not a secret if you're putting it on YouTube. Yeah. With this age, like there's no other way to get it besides the experience and the time. There's something about simply existing long enough to watch yourself be wrong enough times to reach the point where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to stop assuming I know things because <laughs> it hasn't worked out the last 20 times I did. <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying to think of moments recently where I think I would have normally flipped out or lost my cool, especially with the girlfriend. I'm just like, oh, wow, I'm matured. Like I'm able to hear her give me some feedback or we were having a harder talk last night about how to communicate. And I was just like, okay, I'm going to listen to this. Yeah. (laughs) Who is this guy? (laughs) No, this is where like I do a silent treatment and I like get frustrated with them and I go text five of my guys to be like, yo, dude, what do I do here? And now I'm just okay with it. Yeah. Funny. I was thinking about, I wanted to make sure to maximize our time together. I was like, okay, what's the stuff that like you're not talking about that's be interesting to talk about? Getting old and being content. <laughs> I was going to talk to you about doing cocaine on camera. I thought that was the coolest thing I saw in your videos recently. <laughs> You're just reading <laughs> I was like, no, of all the things Mark's doing besides books and speaking and, and working with Will Smith and the famous people, dude, you did cocaine on camera. <laughs> I was curious how you thought about that. And it was watched by two and a half million people or something. Yeah, it was fun. That was fun because I researched. Uh, what do I snort? Because obviously I'm not actually snorting cocaine. And so I started doing research. What do they snort in movies? Because obviously they snort something. And it turns out that there's been like an evolution of it. So it used to be just baking powder and then it was something else. And then more recently, what they do is it's vitamin B6. It's called inositol or something like that. Like that's what they use for movies. You can get it for eight bucks off Amazon, a whole like jar of it. So I bought a bunch of vitamin B6 or something and carved out my lines, had a go at it. There's no burn or drip or anything in the back either. So you don't get high, but <laughs> you, don't fucking, you don't like torch your nasal passage like you do with Coke. <laughs> How did you make that decision to include that? I just thought it would be really funny. As a general principle, I'm thinking about something, whether it's like a book or a chapter or an article or a video, if something starts making me laugh alone in my office uncontrollably, it has to go in. And it's funny too, because when I shot that video and sent it to my team, they were like, no way, dude, you're going to get demonetized. It's going to get taken down. You can't do drug stuff. And I was like, that can't be true. And I started like, searching on youtube i'm like look there's all these people like pretending like doing fake cocaine in youtube videos i found like five videos of people (laughs) pretending to do cocaine and i was like they can do it why can't i (laughs) so we left it and finally i was like look if it gets demonetized who cares just leave it in (laughs) that was my favorite part of the video i was like he's doing cocaine and he had the mcdonald's thing but i was like that was a fun one to watch 
That was fun to make. And that was definitely one of those videos where stuff you expect to blow up never blows up. And then the stuff you don't expect to blow up, it does. Yeah. And that was one of those that when it started taking off, I was like, wait, really? This is the one. <laughs> like the McDonald's and pizza and cocaine video. That's the one that takes off. All right. <laughs> it was it was extremely well done, though. You know, I spent three years writing this book and all the years to get to the point of being able to write it. And I'm like, I'm really proud of this book. And so for me, like all the marketing, all like putting it out, I'm like, I can't wait to put it out. But there's definitely been things that I've put a lot into that flopped. I don't think it'll be this, but still. For sure. It's part of the game, man. When you like build up all those reps over so many years, you lose track of what you've gotten good at. That video, actually, there were a bunch of things that went wrong with that one. And I'd like go reshoot it and the teleprompter broke. So I was having to need the lines off my laptop and keep going back and forth. I just remember it being a pain in the ass. And that script too, I'd spent like way less time on that script than some of the other videos. But then you just forget that you log hours for so many years for that moment. So that when the teleprompter breaks and the pizza's cold, you still pull it together and it like works and it lands. It's part of the fun. It's the unpredictability, I think. Yeah. I was looking back over the YouTube videos I've put out, and I am curious to hear more about your YouTube experience. I couldn't believe how much I did. We only look at today and the future. And then if we actually take a moment, I looked back on all our videos, me and the team have put together. One, I was just really proud of ourselves. I was like, wow, this is like some cool stuff. And I was just proud of what we were able to work on for such a long period of time. Lately, I'm just thinking, if you can just stick out here long enough, you'll do okay. Like You can just stick with whatever it is you're doing. Dude, plus one on that. You're so almost chronically present focus like it's always the next piece of content the next video the next newsletter yeah you forget you're like oh shit i've done hundreds of these (laughs) just sneaks up on you this whole like phrase like in the arena yeah so mark you've been in the arena (laughs) i'm trying things noah (laughs) you're getting tattoos I feel like 40s is just sweet. Like this whole 37, 39, 40s, like it's just good. Yeah, I turned 40 in five months, six months. And obviously there's some feelings of, oh man, 40, old. It's a big year. But then I look at my life and it's just so unquestionably better in every dimension over the last five years, 10 years. And I, I don't see why that trend would stop anytime soon. Back when I was blogging a lot, I crowdsourced an article when I turned 30. So I asked my email list, I said, anybody here who is over 40, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? And I got 500 replies or whatever. And I remember the thing that stuck out to me was so many people said, they're like, I'm 55, life just gets better the older you get. Don't listen to people who complain about getting old. It's so much better at 30 than it was at 20, and it's better at 40 than it was at 30, and it's better at 50 than it was at 40. And oh, I think there's something to that. I think if you're growth-oriented, that's probably true. All those little compounding things that you're working on all the time, they start accumulating. And I think by the time you, you probably get to your 40s, that's when you start feeling. Because when you're in your 20s, you're like, 1% better every day, this sucks. But once you're 40, you're like, oh, shit, I am so much further than I thought I could be at this point. You start benefiting from that accumulation. 1%. I, I was thinking you were going to say, yeah, it's, I'm not 10% every day better. That's the minimum. Yeah. 20. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to be rich tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Tell me the secrets, Noah. What are the secrets? The secrets. It's going to be in the YouTube the video. Secrets. 14 secrets to live a good life. <laughs> My other favorite one is when people do headline on a title. It says, the blank that they don't want you to know. <laughs> like, who cares if I know anything? <laughs> Nobody cares. Like someone said this to me recently. They're like, people want people with absolutism. They think that Mark... Manson, he has a book, it's done well. He has a secret that I yeah. don't know. What is the secret? And there are certain people that create the separation. And I've been thinking of this distance. Like, they must know something in some book, <laughs> The Subtle Art, it's your book, obviously, they should buy it, that sure. if I get this book, I'm going to solve that problem that I've always been having. And I've been thinking about that as I do my book tour and putting my book out there where it feels strange to try to create a separation or like, I think I have experience and I have experience and knowledge and things I've done, but not a secret. Yeah, I guess the secret is there is no secret. It's just full of the same shit. I tell my team off, I remind my team, I'm like, guys, we're not selling luxury items here. We're selling bottled water. All of this advice has existed for 2,000 years. There's absolutely nothing new about it. What we're doing is just putting a really cool label on it and packaging it well and pitching it. Like, we're selling bottled waters. Let's not get up our own asses and self important shit. I feel you on that. I remember at Facebook, people would talk about the fonts. And I still, to this day, I just, I don't care about a font, dude. If I can read it and it's, it's legible, <laughs> just give me the font. But they would like hours, like trying all these variations. And I was like, people are dying. People are really dying. And we're spending hours on these fonts. I don't care. I wonder with you getting older, both of us getting older, not just you, just you, Mark, actually. I'm, dude, I'm staying 30. <laughs> I wonder if things have actually changed or if more of your mindset has changed. This was a counterintuitive thing for me. Getting wealthier has made my life better. Like I've started spending money on like rich people things. Parts of it is cool. Not all of it. Like the watches and fancy cars, like that didn't do much for me. But having a nicer house, not worrying about spending on, like I just bought luggage. I was like, okay, let's just get it. That's convenient. Or shoes, whatever it is. Parts of it are, are much nicer. And then secondly, I would say like therapy every week, having coaches, having a partner who I think I had to be ready for, going to a relationship coach to be ready for someone like this. Yeah. So I think it is both sides, but I think you also have to have the mentality of that evolution, like mentality of optimism. Okay, it's going to get better. I think yeah. for 20s and 30s, it wasn't. It just wasn't. Yeah. The wealth thing is interesting. I remember one of the smartest things a guy did once. I remember I was at a wedding. It was like a friend of a friend. And it was a guy who was the founder of a startup and the startup was just starting to blow up and take off and all this stuff. So he was about to go from sleeping on couches to super wealthy. And it was coming quick. It was about to happen. And I remember he and I got in a conversation and I guess he realized that I'm pretty much an open book. And I had said something to him early on. I was like, rich people stuff, it's very hit and miss. Like it's either legit does make your life better or it's just a huge pain in the ass and a waste of money. There's no in between. So he started grilling me. Like he was like going category by category. He was like, okay, car, fancy car. Is it worth it or no? All this stuff. And it was actually a really useful exercise for me too, because it forced me to like action zero in on all the dumb things that I splurged on. What was actually adding a lot of value to my life? Like business class tickets, flying, yeah, like never going back. Nicer car, whatever, fine. Clothes, whatever. Fancy restaurants, maybe for an anniversary, but every weekend, no, not worth it. It's like going column by column and, and like doing a report card on like, okay, how was this rich person thing? Was it worth it? Do I still want it? No, not really. All right, let's get rid of it. And how do you think it's evolved mentally? Like not wealth related, but just age related, like how you think about things. Like have things actually changed or is it just your mentality about these things have changed? I think two 
very significant things happened around the same time. So I lied when I said nothing materially changed in my life. One significant thing did materially change in my life, and that is I left New York City and I moved to LA. And I underestimated how big of an impact that would have just on my general being and happiness. So that has been huge. The second thing that happened though was more just, I got super burnt out. I was on that treadmill in the late 2010s, like 2017 through 21. I was just on that treadmill, just like taking every project, doing all the speaking gigs, launching all the things, writing all the books, like just constant, yes, do more. And I ran myself into the ground. And so a couple of years ago, I took some time off and I was like, okay, clearly I can't sustain this forever. I need to cut a lot of stuff out of my life and out of my career. What are the handful of things that I enjoy doing, that I love doing, and just focus on those. And so that was hugely helpful. Since I did that, work feels like play again. It feels like I get to wake up and just play in my sandbox and try things, which I hadn't felt that probably like six or seven years. Yeah. What did you find mattered? I realized that, let's say you do arbitrarily divide things up into like traditional media and new media. Traditional media is like book publishing, movies, TV, all that stuff. And then new media, I guess, is like YouTube, podcasts, whatever. Uh, <laughs> the traditional media, that's the high prestige. That's the stuff that like when you go home for Thanksgiving, all your aunts and uncles are like, oh my God, you're doing this. Your parents brag to their friends and it pays super well. They write huge checks to you and you get on a bunch of calls with like lawyers and agents and shit. I think it took me a long time. Like I was so seduced by that. It took me a few years to realize that I can do that, but I don't totally enjoy it. I like being in control. I like deciding how my work is put together, how it's portrayed. I like hiring people and working with them and setting strategic direction. Like I miss the entrepreneurial aspect of my career, which is what new media has, right? Like you make a podcast, you can talk about literally whatever you want on your podcast. Doesn't matter. There's no producer calling in from West Hollywood being like, oh, no, our market tests show that's not what's working right now. And our advertisers want you to say this instead. So coming back to this world has just been like a breath of fresh air. And it, it feels almost like coming home. This is where I started. I get to make whatever I want. I get to decide how I portray myself, how everything comes out. I don't deal with all these big corporations or anything. And that's just been super exciting. Feels really good. Yeah, I was watching a lot of the content and I was wondering, it seems like helping people with their lives or how people live feels like that matters to you a lot. I was curious what matters to you in creating the content and how come you're doing the YouTube? Yes, it does matter to me a lot. I exist in an industry, the self-help industry, which is notorious for selling a lot of stuff that sounds really good, but doesn't really do anything, doesn't help people. And at this point in my career, I've made my bones. I don't need like a big seven-figure course launch or anything. So when I was taking that time off and I was just kind of looking at like, what do I want to work on? What sounds fun? What sounds exciting? I became very interested in this idea of like, how do you actually get people to do stuff, right? Because I can write 20 books that explain the theory behind every single behavioral change or every study on happiness and well-being. But if people who read it like don't actually change how they live day to day. So I, when I first started my career, I did some coaching and I stopped because it just didn't scale. Well, I stopped for a bunch of reasons, but one of the reasons was it didn't scale. And whereas like writing and blogging did. YouTube made me realize, I'm like, oh, that's a way to actually make coaching scale. 
Like I can go spend four days with a person, help them through a problem, and we can get it all on camera. And then a million people can see that and then see what it actually looks like. Like here's how you take someone with social anxiety and get them to a place where they are not held back by social anxiety. And you can watch that transformation happen. So that became like super, super exciting. How did you go about figuring out what to do in that time off? I know because you like meditate a lot. You do ice baths. You're like drinking a lot of bulletproof coffee. No, bulletproof coffee is not cool anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Athletic Greens. This show, by the way, sponsored by Athletic Greens. Hold on, Mark. I got to do a plug. Just kidding. I don't think it tastes good. (laughs) I like refuse them as a sponsor. I don't really like it. (laughs) Isn't it great to be able to do that? Just be like, I don't like your shit. Uh, It's funny because there's this like weird transition that I think happens early in your career. You have to be oriented towards saying yes to everything or taking every opportunity because you're starting out. You don't know when the next opportunity is going to come. As you accumulate success and experience and credibility, the opportunities multiply and your time stays the same. So there's like an inflection point that I feel like happens in most careers that you have to go from saying yes to most things to saying no to most things. And it's very hard to gauge where that inflection is. Even if you know you're there, it's really hard to actually start saying no to things. And for me, I had known for a couple of years that I need to start saying no to shit, but I just couldn't stop doing stuff. <laughs> and I took taking a complete sabbatical for six months to like finally force myself to stop. And I told myself, I'm like, okay, when we add things back, let's add things back. It's almost like an elimination diet. You don't go back to eating all the garbage food you used to eat. You like add one. You're like, okay, let's start with dairy. Okay, see how I feel. Okay, now let's add gluten. See how I feel. So I did that. I'm like, all right, let's start with the website. See how that feels. Feels good. All right, let's do the newsletter. How does that feel? And just one by one, added things back. And my number one priority when I came back to everything, if it doesn't feel exciting or important, just don't do it. Money is not a reason to do it anymore. Building clout or whatever. It's like not a reason to do it. I have that shit. If you're going to do something, it should be because it matters and it's fun. Otherwise, I don't know, just go surf. (laughs) I've tried to be very strict about that. I've been strict to the point. So I've stopped all speaking, stripped down a lot of my writing online, really to just the most fundamental things that I, I enjoy or don't stress me out. I got a book deal. Like I was supposed to write a book last year. I didn't write it. I told my agent, I'm not excited about it. So I'm not going to do it. She loved that, by the way. There were like some ongoing TV deals that were on the table. I just pulled the plug on that. I just wasn't excited about it. So it's just been stripping away. The last thing that was left was doing video stuff and focusing on the online audience, which is ironic because that's the first thing I ever did in my career was build an online audience. And it's 15 years later when you like put a gun to my head and say, you can only keep one thing. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'll keep building the online audience. Yeah, that's the only thing I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. I love what you said about time doesn't change, but the amount of things going on can change. And then really thinking about what matters, especially early on. I want to make money. Don't try to make money, which is a little counterintuitive. It's find the thing you really like to do. And guess what? If you stick with it and people do, event, they have to probably want to pay you for it. It can be a really large thing. My, last week, my chief of staff was like, no, we're going to be ruthless with your calendar. And that was probably one of the highlights of my week. Her just saying that. I was like, talk more dirty to me. Talk, talk. Yeah, to that, me. That, that's my love language. <laughs> you have a lot of opportunities. Everyone out there actually has a lot of time. They all have the same time of, of choosing things to do and just really being intentional. So for me, it's I got AppSumo, book, and YouTube. And it's, that's it. And then my girlfriend, she's one of my priorities. If it's not in that category, 
Like it is very hard to prioritize. And it was really appreciated hearing last week when Anna was like, hey, we're going to be more ruthless because I do a review every Friday of my week. Just like, how was the week? How's my behavior? And what am I doing next week? And, and she sees it and then she's like, okay, let's go change some of these things. That's great. That's good chief staff. She's awesome. Well, what was one of the highlights when it's crazy? Because sometimes when it's crazy, it's pretty good. You wrote a book with Will Smith, no big deal. You know, like that's yeah, kind of a yeah. highlight. Don't get me wrong. There's some really cool shit. They're highs, not happiness. Ooh. To use the term from Subtle Art. Oh, yeah. There's some huge perks. Like, got to meet a couple congressmen, have dinner with a congressman, pick their brains, which was super interesting. Met some celebrities, got invited to some strange but super cool places, following Will Smith around the world for a couple of years. That itself is its own book, much less his book. There were absolutely some perks. Like, there were some really cool perks. But like any high, they're very short lived. So you're like, oh my God, this like really famous person is going to be at this dinner. And oh my God, they're a fan of my book. And that feels really good and exciting for a day or two. And then a week goes by and you're like, you've done four events in three weeks and you're exhausted and haven't seen your wife in, <laughs> in three weeks. <laughs> and so it's very easy to lose track of the boring fundamentals that actually drive your day-to-day happiness. It's the contentment. So with those two changes that I mentioned, A, moving to LA, and then B, refocusing on just a handful of things that I'm really excited to work on. I'm so content from day to day. This is the first time in my entire life, I've always had a travel book. I was always planning a trip, always going on a trip. I lived nomadically for a number of years. And this year, I actually don't want to travel. I get annoyed when something comes up and I, I try to find ways out of it because I don't want to leave. <laughs> If I go on this trip, I'm just going to spend the whole time like wishing I was home. So that's been super weird. I've never had that in my life, but it struck me that maybe that's actually a healthy thing to just love your day-to-day life so much that you don't feel a need to go on vacation every other month. Dude, hell yeah. That's a great sign. Yeah. Because I think you've heard the quote, like, create a life you don't want to leave. But there's times where like, I want to be home. Like I was in New York last week. I was like super excited to come home. And then I get home and I'm a little irritated with things. But then for the most part, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's 95 degrees and humid in, in Austin. But overall, I'm like, yeah, this is sweet. Yeah. Austin. Hashtag Austin problems. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, my girlfriend lives in Spain. So I'm splitting time now between, which is just awesome. Like we're going back on Sunday just to hang on Europe for a month. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What part of Spain? She's in Barcelona. Cool. It's a great city, man. It's been, so I spent the summer there and then my buddy's getting married in Santorini. So I'm going to go to Santorini for a week. My parents are flying out and then I rented a boat for us to stay on for a week, which is one of my dreams this year. Awesome. I'm like, this is so cool. How can you beat it, man? I was just curious for you to highlight maybe some of your journey ups and inflection points or ups and downs because we've known each other years and I've seen your stuff for years and for people that think, oh, I wrote a book. Cool, man. Just write one book, pop it out. It's over. That's like so much things to that point to get to. This is one of those things that happened when Subtle Art came out. Because in the publishing world, I was, quote unquote, a debut author. And so I would go into all these publisher meetings and they'd be like, oh, you're the biggest debut author in, in the last 10 years. Like, how does it feel to be an overnight success and all these things? And I'm like, dude, I've been grinding for a decade. I don't know what you're talking about. I started blogging in 07 and then started trying to like make a buck online in 08 and probably reached like a middle-class income at the end of 09. So that right there is two years of consistent writing with basically no livable result. And then from there, I subsisted off some combination of coaching and 
selling ebooks. I probably wrote three or four ebooks during that period, all around data advice, and did a bunch of coaching, created some courses, grinded for another couple of years. And then in 2011, I wrote my men's dating book, Models, Track One Through Honesty. That was self published. And even that, I had no idea what I was doing. The first version of that book was so terrible. I published it on my blog. And a couple of days later, I had a dozen emails from readers with like lists of typos and grammatical errors, like typos, errors, redundancy, formatting errors. So I ended up spending probably a year doing revisions of that book. I basically published the first draft. In my head, I was like, oh, I've revised this a couple of times. It's done. But no, it was basically a first draft. And then I continued to edit it down and polish it pretty publicly with my audience. My audience has helped over a year. And then I pivoted out of men's dating in 2012 and started writing just general self-help. I did that because it turned out that a lot of women started reading my content. And then from there, I started going viral on Facebook pretty consistently. And I built up an audience of around 2 million people a month by 2015. So by the time I got my book deal... <laughs> Spring of 2015, I had been grinding, consistently writing. I had probably written hundreds of articles, self published a book, written three or four ebooks, created three or four courses for eight years when I got my first book deal as a baby author. And then, Subtle Art, I wrote a series of pretty big viral pieces, like 2012 through 2015. And a few of those were copy pasted directly in the Subtle Art. But the spirit of those pieces, like I paid a lot of attention to what was going viral, what was really resonating with people, that informed what Subtle Art became. So even Subtle Art, even though I wrote it for two years, there was probably another two or three years of blog posts that heavily influenced or informed what eventually made it into the book. It's a pride, dude. <laughs> In conclusion, uh, <laughs> ergo, ergo, there's no shortcut. You really got to love it. And, and I know that's cliche, but this probably applies in just general business as well. But definitely in a creative field, it can't feel like work to you. I saw actually a guy posted on Twitter the other day. He's one of these YouTube consultants and he posted that he was talking to a client who was like, I want to be a YouTuber, but I don't enjoy making videos then you don't want to be a YouTuber. That's like saying, I want to write a book, but I don't enjoy writing. It's like, that doesn't exist. <laughs> this is contradictory. So you really just have to make sure it doesn't feel like work, that it feels like play and do whatever you can to protect that feeling of play. I think in your 40s, all the cliches are true. That's the problem. And the good part. That is like every problem. cliche, dude, when you're 40, you're like, that cliche, dude, yep. true. <laughs> I've been doing blogging since 2000. And my YouTube thing, that's a very simple mental thing for myself, is I want to just make content I can do for 10 years. I don't know where that came from, but it worked for me where I'm just like, is this something I can do for the next 10 years? If it's not, then don't make that content. And so the more I've stuck with it, it's sticking with it because I'm like doing the ones I want. And yes, it's I'm choosing ones that people want to watch and that makes me satisfied as well. But I think just chasing like getting more views, I don't know, you blow up a Ferrari or whatever's there, that would not something I want to do. Like I knocked on doors and these videos do well, but they're tough. I don't wake up thinking I want to go do that every week. Yeah. Which you can do that for a while. You can do it for a few months if it's serving kind of some grander goal. Like I don't particularly enjoy the whole publicity and touring side of a book launch, but I also understand that that's just part of a job. Like you don't want to spend two or three years writing a book and then nobody reads it. That's part of the job. So you 
suck it up for a couple months. Like I would never take a career where all I'm doing is touring and speaking. There are some people who do that. But yeah, two months every other year, I can handle that. That's no problem. A few questions on that journey you were talking about. One, how did you make your first dollar online? So it was me and another local blogger guy. He was going to host like a pickup artist seminar. And my reputation was starting to blow up around that time. And I guess he needed to fill a few more seats. So he invited me to come co-coach with him. And then he would like split the money with me or whatever. And we sold it out. It was like six or eight guys or something like that. It was so funny, man. It was like 200 bucks. It's insane in hindsight how we had no clue what we were doing. It was 200 bucks. It was two full days of eight hours of seminar and then four hours at night going out to bars and talking to girls. It was like two 12-hour days. It was basically like 24 hours of work, at least, probably 30 hours of work. And it was $200 per guy who showed up. I think I made 500 bucks on the whole thing. I remember at the time, it just blew my mind. I'm like, oh my God, people will pay me for this. This is insane. I love that. I also love these stories where it really shows what's in the kitchen. It shows all it takes to get to the point of having the dish. I think about my own journey. I was like, dude, I grinded for such a long time. But it's all these things that finally came together for it to be there. If I knew you early or I knew when the book was coming out pre-book and all these things, like, would I bet on you? And would you bet on yourself? And then I'm trying to think, okay, well, what are these elements of the people that seem to be producing or seem to be creating things that do well? And it's, there is something there that they just stick with things and they've done it for a long period of time. I've heard a lot of people mention this in a lot of different industries, but there's, again, a cliche. Some people have it. Like <laughs> I remember the first Tim Urban article I read and I got halfway through it and I was like, this guy's got it. Like he's going to be huge. And I didn't even get all the way through the article. I was like, this is brilliant. He's amazing. I think he had just started. He'd been writing, publishing for six or eight months or something. I was like, this guy's going to be massive. Some people you can just tell. I don't know. There's something intangible about them. Find the thing that you're great at. If it's writing and you're sticking eight years and it still sucks and no one wants to read it, maybe don't do that. <laughs> but find out if you're a good editor or maybe you're the guy that can draw or girl that can draw the writing or you can just finding the area that you actually are just naturally talented. I do think most people are. Most people have something. The way I, I often describe it is like, and this works in relationships too, look for the thing that it feels like you're running downhill when you do it. It should feel like there's a tailwind as you do it. If it feels like there's a headwind and you're just like pushing so hard and making such little progress over an extended period of time, like that's a bad sign. Yeah. Wow, that's a great call. I, I got a shout out as well. Your book models, I've read a lot of dating books. Your book model is phenomenal. I think I texted you last summer and it was just such a game changer. It was just such a simple, but like beautiful book about it. It wasn't trickery. It was just like how to be a good person yourself <laughs> to then attract yep. another good person. And it works. It works. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, that book has had serious staying power. I did not anticipate how long it would be around and how impactful it will be. How did you approach in general peace within yourself and peace within yourself versus the treadmill? Like what you said about that YouTuber wants the credit but doesn't want to do the work and you had these like insane levels of notoriety and success. Success, you know, externally. And so I wonder how you balance that internally. I feel like I'm just now starting to get okay at that. I've always been seduced by the treadmill. Or I tend to get easily seduced by the treadmill just because I like working. I like working hard. I know I can work really hard and I like seeing progress and results. And there have been a number of times throughout my life or my career that I've found that I've gotten tricked back onto the treadmill and lost track of what I genuinely and deeply care about or 
am like amped to be doing. There's a certain amount of it that I don't think you can fake. I think a certain amount of it, maybe you have to get tricked on that treadmill and discover that you're on a treadmill to realize <laughs> you need to get off of it. Again, part of the age thing, the experience. I can look back and there are many times throughout my career where I bullshitted myself into thinking, man, you're just writing what you believe and what you care about. Meanwhile, I'm like refreshing Google Analytics every hour. <laughs> you know, is this article doing well? Like how many times did it get shared? There's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. Tracking numbers is fun, but it can't be the reason. There has to be a fundamental reason that justifies tracking the numbers. You can't just track the numbers to track the numbers. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we put out. I've seen one as a business separately and then with my content with the team and it doesn't hit. And I'm like, mm -hmm. are we proud of what we put out? Did we put out what we actually wanted to put out? If we're proud of it, like I can't force people to watch, but I can control that what we create. Like we put a video out, we put only two a month, maybe sometimes three, and it takes a lot of money and time to put it all together. And I think it has like 50,000 views. It's a good video. It's still just as good as our other videos. We do look at the stats. I almost don't look at the stats as often. I'm just like, okay, it's not there. That's fine. What could we learn at least for a future video that we want to still do great work, but also, yes, ideally other people are watching it. But otherwise, that to me is the moment that you're like, didn't hit. Okay, I need to come back and I have to go make more videos. I'm like, no, I'm proud of what I did. Otherwise, it's never satisfying. And I think that's where I've noticed with myself and entrepreneurs, we're at, it's very unsatisfying. Okay, I need to fix some problems and make more money and make more content. It's like, dude, I'm just giving myself therapy here. Am I yeah. ever going to be at peace? Am I ever going to be just like content and satisfied <laughs> with this stuff? Some next thing is finally going to solve it. And that's not true. Yeah, I definitely think this is part of having an entrepreneurial personality is that you're just in this constant state of dissatisfaction. I wouldn't even call it dissatisfaction. I feel like I'm in a constant state of this could be better. Even when I don't want to see it, I see it. Like every piece of content I've ever put out, every piece of content I've ever seen, every movie, TV show, book, I'm like, this could be better. That could be better. Oh man, it's just, it's immediately where my brain goes. And it's both a curse and a blessing. It forces you to constantly improve and do great work. But there's some days where it's like, man, can I just sit down and enjoy a book? <laughs> like how hard is this? <laughs> I was thinking, what is 50-year-old Mark going to say? Dude, it got even better. Maybe 50-year-old yeah, like, yeah. Mark's going to be like, dude, don't worry about that. I think a lot of what's changed, though, is my attitude towards it. I think when I was younger, there was this piss and vinegar behind it. Oh, this could be better. I'm going to do it better. Whereas I think as I've gotten older, I am just trying to enjoy the process of improving stuff for the sake of improving stuff. We've had some videos that have come out lately that it's both things at once. I'm very proud of them and I stand by them. I'm proud of the team. But I also look at them like, yeah, six things that we can improve upon with that. And now I'm excited to improve upon this. So I think young Mark would be like, this is trash. This is shit. I can't believe I posted this. <laughs> We're going to do a hundred times better next time. But I think 40 year old Mark is like, hey, that was a great attempt. We did some great things. Dude. Now let's just do it better. <laughs> That's some wisdom right there, man. Man. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, some guy gave me a message to post and I, he sent the wrong date. And I was, he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. He's 25. And I, he's, oh, man, I, this sucks. I'm like, dude, I, let's just change the day. It's okay. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice that with like young employees? What they see as like a failing is just completely different. Like I've noticed that too with particularly young employees. Shit like that, they get really upset and apologetic about it. I'm like, I don't care. Whereas I've noticed with young people on my team, I've trained them to be willing to fail 
in front of me. I'd rather you give me all of your ideas, even if they're terrible, than to sit around and wait a month, just show me your best idea. Yeah, I do think 20s and early 30s, no one would have been like, yo, you suck. Here's why you suck. <laughs> I don't think I'm always like that, but definitely now I pause. Because I do think how yeah, I'm motivated. Yeah. I'm motivated when someone's like, oh, that was good, man. Like, here's what we can do better. I'm like, all right, thank you for the feedback. So I, I'm working as a leader to be more optimistic and be like, okay, this part's good. Let's also work on this part. People are like, oh, you're so happy all the time. I'm like, let's keep doing this. <laughs> I want to be happy at work. <laughs> That's a whole nother facet of this is like the leadership aspect. I'm reading the, the Elon Musk book right now. It is so fascinating. Steve Jobs as well. It must be absolutely miserable to work directly under him or around him. And yet he just produces insane results out of people consistently. Which is an interesting leadership question, right? Could he get it being nice if he's still mean, but it's producing it? One of the leadership lessons I think about myself is the leader holds the highest standard. So the leader is saying, no, this is the bar. And it doesn't mean you have to be mean to them. But then what I've noticed, which is very interesting, is I have guys now and girls, tons of women. The women at AppSumo are phenomenal that hold a higher bar than me sometimes. And I'm like, okay, like now something's happening. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. No, like, not to knock my team, not to knock my team, but I generally have an unrealistically high bar for most things within my business. But so I'm always the one having to go back to them and be like, come on, you got to do better. <laughs> yeah, I work really well with people that push back. So like Jeremy, the producer on our channel, one of the constant things I'm like, He's challenging me all the time. He's like, no, that, I don't like that. This is how I make it better. I'm like, yes. I just don't want to have someone come in and be like, no, great ideas. No, they're not. Like, let's like fight them. Let's like make them even stronger. So I feel you on that. Yeah. I did want to ask you about book stuff. Your book did really well. My book's coming out at the beginning of next year. So launch and marketing wise, I'm, I'm just love any suggestions, like top two, three things that you'd recommend around that. Make sure you go on the show or make sure you do this thing or don't do that thing. Uh, I'd love any recommendations. Highest ROI in terms of promotion is going to be podcasts by far, not really a close second. Your publisher is probably going to want you to do newspapers, magazines, radio, traditional media stuff. They're probably going to promise you a bunch of that stuff, even though they're not going to be able to get it. Don't get mad at them when they don't get it. And don't worry about it because none of that stuff moves the needle anyway. Mid-sized podcasts will push more book sales. Especially if it's targeted well, it'll push more book sales than like the biggest morning show on ABC or NBC or whatever. Definitely focus on podcasts. I'd say YouTube would be a, a distant second. You want to like get your audience really amped up and excited leading into it. So in the publishing world, the first week is, you've probably heard this, but the first week's the most important. A lot of distribution decisions in the publishing world are made based on pre-sales and first week sales. So if you hit the list, there are a lot of bookstores out there and that are sitting waiting for that New York Times list to come out to know how many books to stock. For instance, Subtle Art. I remember the day Subtle Art came out, I went to the Barnes & Noble in Union Square, New York. I had to go up to the second floor, back to the very back of the self-help section, buried in like one of the shelves in, in the M's, they had three copies of Subtle Art. And it was so disappointing. This was on launch day. It was so disappointing. But of course, I'm a debut author. Nobody knows who I am. Anyway, that week hits the New York Times list. That's when it starts showing up on like front tables, big pile of 20 of them with a big sign promoting it. So bookstores look to the bestseller list as an indication of what has mass appeal. And then they follow that 
the best thing you can do is leverage your current audience to make sure that you succeed on that first week that just getting on the times list any way, shape, or form, because then the rest of the industry will start jumping in afterwards. How did you amp up your audience? Basically just creating a lot of free content around the book, previewing the book, releasing a chapter to like my newsletter. Some people do like big pre-order promotions. I think they're a little bit overrated. They're not nothing, but a lot of people do these promotions like where if you pre-order one book, you'll get this PDF. And then if you pre-order five books, you'll get, I don't know, a poster. If you pre-order 20 books, like I'll come and hang out with your mom. Like it, they, they like create this tier system. I did that with Subtle Art. It probably drove an extra 500 sales, 1,000 sales. It ended up not really mattering. And it was a lot of extra work. I know James Clear did the same thing with Atomic Habits, maybe a thousand extra sales, but it created a ton of extra work. So the ROI on that is not great. I think it's better to just create some free content around the best ideas in the book, put that out to your audience on YouTube, on the podcast, on your blog, and just genuinely get people really excited about that idea or that concept. Very honestly, pimp the book out at the end of that content. Events, you mentioned a tour. Tours are great for that. Because what they do these days is, let's say you do LA, Austin, New York, you buy a ticket to the event. With the ticket, you get a free book. That book is arranged through a bookstore. So that book gets counted for the times list and everything. So if you sell a thousand event tickets through three cities, that's a thousand books that get added to your book total for that week. The big goal out of the gates is just get on the list. Even if it's just for one week, get on the list because that will open a lot of distribution for the preceding weeks. And then after that, my editor told me years ago, like before Subtle Art came out, when I was stressing about all this stuff, he told me after the first month, 99% of book sales are driven by word of mouth. You can have the best launch in the entire book industry, but if it's not a good book, people will forget it came out. Whereas you can have a pretty mediocre launch, but if it's a great book and people are talking about it and sharing it and posting it, it's going to have a lot of longevity. A lot of that work is already baked in at this point from what you've done. Awesome. Yeah, writing a great book is hard. I do believe this is a great book. I've tested it with myself, I've tested with the audience. It is hard. I don't know. Like I've written a lot of blog posts. I've written like little ebooks yeah. and self-published, but to actually make something and then it's also locked in, which is wild, especially in traditional pub. Like you write this book and it's you can't change this stuff. And you've started writing it years that ago. That ship sailed. <laughs> Yeah, like you wrote it years ago, as things change. So you have to understand that that could change too. And then it's probably going to change in the next few years. So how do you make it somewhat timeless in that regard? Yeah, it is really hard. Same way, like you can post a YouTube video, it'll be ranked 10 of 10, and you'll be all bummed or whatever. <laughs> and then two months later, it like the algorithm catches a pocket of a new audience or a new story comes out or something, boom, million views. Yeah. The same thing happens in books. There's so many examples of books that came out of the gate slow, and then a year later blew up and took off. Like Sapiens was like that, actually. Sapiens was out for like three years before, I guess, the right people found it, started talking about it. And then it, it went crazy and sold like 10 million copies. So you never know. <laughs> so that's like toil and obscurity. And then maybe <laughs> it comes back to what you were saying about YouTube videos, right? It's like the best thing you can do is just make something you're super proud of. Exactly. Obviously, you want to promote it out of the gate to give it the best chance in the world. Kind of like a kid, right? Like you want it to have the best <laughs> chance, but at a certain point, it's up to the world and the kid and it's out of your hands. 
if I was launching a book today, I would probably run a super light promo, which is if you mail me a proof of pre-order, I would probably create some sort of bonus or opportunity or something like a live Q&A or webinar or something. Nothing super heavy lifts. A lot of people try these like big extravagant promises and they always end up regretting it. I would just do some very low lift. Hey, if you pre-order this between this date and this date, here's the perk you get. And then I would create a lot of organic content around the book and then just promote the book and the events, the launch events, the week it comes out. And that would be it. Most of the work you've done, you've accumulated over years and years of building this audience. I've been feeling lucky how many people, even like yourself, that I've just known for so long. And it's like, hey, I've got this thing. Can I get your opinion? Can we chat about it? Can we talk about other things? And it kind of reminded me, like, keep helping, keep like being out there, connecting with people. Yeah. Like how many people were there? It's just been special. Yeah. I hate to keep harping on the age thing too, but I feel like you and I are like dinosaurs at this point. There's so many guys who came up in our generation of like creators who like aren't around anymore. And it, it feels like there's like a dozen of us left <laughs> still going. Yeah. And I'm meeting the new generation of creators, especially out here in LA. I run into a bunch of these like big YouTubers and stuff. And they're so smart and so talented and also so young and just green, like a babe yeah. in the woods. I'm sorry to have that realization of like, all right, I'm the elder statesman. <laughs> really? but I, I will say, I love it. I think we both like writing. We like, both like what it does for connecting with people, putting ourselves out there. People appreciate us. We can help others. I yeah. would say on that other side of it is I still also, I intentionally try to meet younger people. There's a guy who's going to be helping with social media and Jeremy, the producer is like, hey, you should interview this guy. See if he can help us with our email marketing. So we get on a Zoom call and he's got like a bunk beds behind him. I'm like, oh, cool. Which college campus you're at? He's like, no, I'm at my parents' house. <laughs> Dude, he's 17 and I'm just, I'm hyped. Wow. 17 wow. is, uh, I don't know if I have to sign like a chaperone form. If he comes to meet up, we end up going anywhere. But it's also cool. Like he's just on a different edge. And I think a lot of my results have come from noticing the people that are also out there doing different yeah. things that I can learn from and I can also teach him. No, it's so cool to see. I'm so impressed by this younger generation of internet entrepreneurs. Like they're so much smarter at 24 than I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much more put together. <laughs> it wasn't so obvious when we were doing this that this is a career. I think that now it's no. like, oh you, yeah, you blog, you, you're an Instagram. Like I tell people lately, I don't talk about AppSumo, which amazingly has done really well over the years and still around. And I don't say, oh yeah, I run a software. I'm like, I'm a YouTuber. They're like, eh, okay. They don't even like flinch on that. Because to yeah. me, I'm still thinking, dude, I'm a YouTuber. This is crazy. I make videos and that can be a business and that can be a living. It's a good time <laughs> to be alive. I'm just like so stoked we're alive. There's like just so many moments in my day <laughs> that I, I always think I hit a button, food comes over. I'm so lucky. I have a, a cleaning lady. She's cleaning right now. I have a, a girlfriend who's from Venezuela, but I met her in Spain on an app called Bumble. Like, it's just cool. We get to fly in these planes and skies and lay down on them. Great time to be alive. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go give Mark some love, buy his books, check him out on Twitter. I am Mark Manson. Check him out on Instagram, Mark Manson. Next text your friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go to the library together. And before you go, tweet at me or Instagram at Noah Kagan and let me know what you think of this episode. Also, go check out tidycal.com. It's been super popular. It's been growing like crazy. People are using it like crazy. I use it to book customer calls and book meetings. It is free. You can also use it to get paid for people to book meetings with you. But you have people making six figures a year doing it that way. Go check it out at tidycal.com. Finally, a couple of shout outs to the amazing team for making this stuff happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for stepping up with the show these days. 
Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Tommy, and Sylvie from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. Shout out to Garrett as well for helping with the website. Have a healthy day. What's your favorite nonfiction book? <laughs>